if you think about a DJ playing with music, think of the DJ playing with images and music and animations all flowing at the same time right from your content that you've already got on your corporate network. And then, then the be how does it synthesize? How do you deliver it? That's storytelling. And when people become better storytellers, their audience become better rememberers of what's being said. And I know rememberers isn't a word, but still, <laughs> you know what I was saying. Welcome to the Leaders of B2B podcast, a weekly show where we bring you interviews and in the weeds expertise with today's B2B experts and thought leaders. You can see more about today's episode and guest by visiting our website at leadersofb2b.com. This episode is brought to you by Content Allies. We help B2B companies launch revenue generating podcasts. We schedule interviews between you and your ideal prospects and strategic partners. You show up for engaging conversations. We handle everything else. Ready to build a podcast that grows your business in just one hour per week? Reach out to us at contentallies.com. Hey, leaders, welcome back. This is Ledge. Really excited to welcome James Entra to the show today. James, as I told you off mic, I always have the guests do their own introduction. You do it better than me. Great. My name is James Entra. I'm co-founder and CEO of Shuffler. Shuffler is presentation management. It's an enterprise slide library for global organizations to keep everyone singing off the same sheet of slides. <laughs> same sheet of slides. Yeah. So we won't drown in PowerPoints. Is that is that what's going to happen here? Yeah. You want to weed out the garbage and only use what's relevant. Each slide is a communication right. tool and they shouldn't be afterthoughts. So talk a little bit about that solution. I think we've all, particularly in the sales and marketing seat, have all drowned in this idea of like, how do we keep people on brand? There's, you know, sort of marketing wants to have one lockdown deck and then as they should, right, brand relevance and brand, you know, voice and all those things on the other side. And I, you know, I'm often in the sales seat. We're just like, we need a particular touch point in our deck. We need a particular sales enablement piece of material that really only matches that one target prospect, the one person we're talking to. I got to prove to them. Marketing wants to, you know, sort of go, "Hey, we ought to talk to the average persona," which is totally right. And sales is, but I need to close this one, you know. And how do you pull together what becomes marketing and branded and sales enablement and all those things? I mean, that's a it is a real challenge. And how have you thought about that and gone about solving that? Uh, ironically, I've been pushed into doing that in my whole career on almost every job for the past 25 years. <laughs> but yeah, um, right. what it really is, is acknowledging the two different needs out there. The person on the front end wants an easy way to find those slides and put them together. They don't want to hunt and peck. They don't want to call Sally down the hall and say, remember that slide that everyone plotted and can you get it for me? They don't want to do that. And in all reality, if you're a quota-carrying salesperson on the front end and, and you can close the deal by throwing away the presentation, you close the deal. So the priority is it's really valuable until it's not. So they have, <laughs> they have their own need. And marketing and sales wants to keep everyone on brand, on message, the right logos. You want to talk about our history properly. And the legal department has a similar issue. They want to be compliant. They want to know if you make a statement, is the disclosure there? Are you representing us properly? So um, kind of what we've done with Shuffler here, and this is the, the bulk of everything, is every presentation right now is a linear slideshow. 
I'm planning on talking to you. Here's I'm going to get 15 slides because I have 15 minutes to go through and talk about the 15 items that I think you're going to want to talk about. And I put a lot of work into that, copying and pasting and putting them together and everything. In the Shuffler presentation management world, we create something like a structured uh, storytelling environment where the folders in your library look like the table of contents of a book. And that book is your company, who we are, what we do, how we do it. And who we are, there's five presentations about the founding, about the corporate development, our global reach, and our principles and identity. About what we do, it's your products and services, the details of the text. You probably have 15 presentations. You might even have videos and stuff like that. How we do it. You have your onboarding plan, your rollout plan, how you get it going, and then maybe case studies. And you have a whole bunch of slides on your clients and what. And what that leads into is if you were to do all of those slides in one linear presentation, it would be 250 slides. No one will ever sit through it. But think about what you said in the beginning. You just need that one slide about the specific plant outside of our London office. Well, that's in there. And if it's an organized library that marketing put together, you can just type in London office and visually see the slide. Drag it into your slide tray and say, okay, after the London office, these guys are going to want to know about our environmental impact. Environmental. Oh, I see the slide and I drag it in. Because it's part of the published slide library, you already know it's been approved by marketing. Management has done it. Legal might have looked at it as well. You know, you don't have to mess with the logos because you're a sales guy. You couldn't, you want it to look good. You don't want to have to make it look good. And as a result, you end up with 90% of your 15 slide presentation in five minutes. Then you add a cover slide that says, welcome, you know, Dr. Jones. And we'll be talking about the Girl Scouts today and our impact. Let's get to it. And then you write an extic page. I hope we meet you at the, at the, you know, at the company picnic next year because every sales has a unique thing. But to bring it together, that's what it's all about. So it's the difference between the linear slideshow and providing a published slide library to your whole organization that anyone can just go to and pick and choose and know that they're on brand, on message. Right, right. And it sounds like you have almost like a taxonomy type of idea, you know, that you can keyword tag and different things like that. And I think that discoverability of assets has always been a huge problem. And it's it's like, I don't even know, it's one thing to say, I want to search for that one about our ESG policies or accomplishments. Like, but what if I don't know that we marketing every has an asset like that? So, you know, it's like, you got to get in the head of everybody who's searching and kind of go, what, what might be found well, there's a, that way? There's an incredible stat that 3M put out on their own company that over 75% of their marketing materials never get reused. They have a big event and like, let's say your, your, your CEO is doing a, a, a keynote address well, there's slides that built into it. There was probably coaching to the how to speak to those slides. All of that information should be able to be distributed out to the people in the field so they can speak as well as the CEO, or at least with the same training and the same visuals and graphics and whiz-bang, because in your organization, there's probably thousands of slides, hundreds of duplicates, some great, some miserable, and probably eight different versions of telling the same story about a different in a different way for a certain product. Once you use a system this way, you start realizing that, wow, our number one salesperson seems to spend the most time on this slide about efficacy. 
And usually when they spend three minutes on that slide, the client closes for a higher percentage. Or at the end of the year, you realize nobody's using that ratings data. What's the deal? We had a, mar we had a, a, a cable company who's our client. They, they had a whole team of five people doing overnight slides for ratings. Like they, they sold cable TV in Rochester and, and Cincinnati and New York and every market across the nation, 94 markets, all these shows. And they had ratings overnights every day. They always had them. And they were making the slides. A whole team was doing this for years and years. When they started, it was very relevant. But when they integrated an integra presentation management strategy, suddenly they realized, why aren't the salespeople using these slides? And what they found out was the salespeople were using the slides on the individual show. Let me tell you about Emerald. But it, when it came time to buying, they picked the spreadsheet right off of uh, Nielsen that day and just made a purchase order based on the actual numbers because they didn't need it in the presentation. So, so, and, so and, you were able to create, uh, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's not all, it's like by doing presentation management, which I would argue really is like, you're, you're talking about knowledge management and proper, you know, sort of all the things we know in one place and how do we do it? You were able to create a business intelligence type of asset, you know, as well. Exactly. You'll find that it's also a communications asset. In that if you look at communications, basically advertising and stuff, is they, they'll manage TV and radio and the web, how much time you spent on each page, where you clicked, where you looked, what was the audience, how many people tuned in, all the nuts and bolts, granularity of it. And for some reason, presentations, everyone's out in the cold. You're all in your own silo trying to do it. And if you get the information and you think about every presentation's a story, every slide's a scene. And if each scene is used by different people in your company, you start knowing who is telling your story in a certain way. What's the hero of each scene? Is it your product? What is the company supposed to feel when you show that one slide versus the other slide? Is it an emotional slide versus a data slide? You start being looking at this library of slides where each one is pointing to the right horizon. So no matter how people shuffle the slides into a new deck, a new presentation, every slide is pointing to the same direction, the same horizon. Where's your product going? Where's your theme? You know what I mean? Where's your company going? And now you have a communication asset that you're now tracking with real statistics. Who's doing what, where, and when? You know the life cycle of the presentation. Who made it? Who reused it? Who altered it? When was it used? How many times was it shown? Did clients make notes on it? Was it shared? Was it downloaded? Did people make PDFs of it? All that data becomes integral. You picked up on it, business intelligence thereafter. My example for the doing the Nielsen ratings, five people were drawing a salary. Let's just say it was five grand a month, whatever it is for an easy. It's 25 grand a month. They did that for like eight years. One year, that's $300,000. Eight years, that's $2.5 million. At what time were those slides not relevant and not being used? They didn't know until they bought the system. Right, right. That, so, you know what I mean? And it has that presentation layer also, which you then, I'm guessing, are going to take some raw data and try to integrate with other systems there. So you have a data integration issue of saying, if it doesn't talk to our CRM, we don't know what salespeople are doing anyway. So that you have all kinds of, you've taken a qualitative data process and turned it into, you know, quantitative 
in, in ways that you can then utilize for a business purpose. And I love that because I think like anything that changes like a qualitative process into something that's actually actionable and useful is a good version of knowledge management and, and business intelligence. It also makes me wonder, it also makes me think about you need to design the inputs for such a thing in a way that they are in fact more modular because you talk about like the hero of each slide. You talk about like there are design and storytelling elements here that if I walked into most companies and looked at the source decks, they would be garbage. So uh, it's kind of like a garbage in, garbage out, no matter how you buy and, and implement the management system. Well, we, we have a process that takes them through creating the structure. We have an analogy that way that, you know, your room's a mess. No one wants to be told to clean it up. Well, the reality is your slides are a mess. They're all over the network. They're on Dropbox. They're in SharePoint. They're clicked to emails. They're on thumb drives. And no one wants to clean it up. We've, we have a process that, that allows you to manage that. And that basic process sounds like this. As opposed to going to clean your room, why don't we just push everything in the center in a big pile? Now let's look at that pile and there's eight pairs of pants. Pick out your best pair of pants. Let's put them over here. Pick out your favorite shirts. Let's put them here. Leave everything behind. Because if you have uh, uh, like a bio of your CEO, there might be 20 slides of it. Let's weed out the one best, put it in the library, and everyone starts using that going forward. If there's 15 slides where people talk about your London office, let's get the one slide that tells the story best and make that what everyone uses for the London office. Everyone starts speaking properly. You weed out the duplicates, you weed out the garbage, and you start learning that there's golden nuggets all through your network out there that sell your company. Wow, I, I forgot about this last summer poster we put up there. That's perfect for this new client. You wouldn't have known that if it wasn't in there for you. And since it's visual and you search it and it's like a slide, and the key is every file is formatted to present, so all you do is have to drag that file into your slide tray and it's already formatted and it works. Something else you queued in on is once you get this and you get this quantitative data and things of what's more valuable, oh, that story of the house burning down and us coming in and doing the remodeling was really had a lot of impact, maybe we should invest a little money in a nice animation. Maybe a short video is appropriate because that tells our story better than anything else. Suddenly you're making qualitative decisions on your communications on how they're being used. And the people on the front end, your salespeople, look 100% better. They start presenting with real, I, I hesitate to say, Hollywood-style storytelling. Because when your marketing people get to show off and it really gets used, they really want to show off and let it get used. And that makes a difference. And if you think about every presentation's a story, every slide's a scene, would George Lucas create a scene if he didn't know how you felt when you left it, what each performer on the slide is doing, why they're doing it. Is this an emotional scene or is this a reinforcement scene? Are you supposed to go away feeling sorry for your product and happy when the product solves it? I don't, I don't know. But when you start thinking about your slides this way, you start giving your people on the front end the ability to sell much better. Mm -hmm. I'll give yeah, and obviously salespeople are gonna love that, you know, just to like 
I could tell you that, you know, we never want to go and create a new deck, but we know we have to, uh, or, you know, it, and you probably facilitate this type of approach too. I, I'm the type that will, I just want to know all the slides I might need are in the thing. And I just want to click around and, you know, sort of make that look organic. I don't want to go start to finish because I think pitching doesn't work for this, you know, particular consultative type of, of sell. The idea is put the information in the hands and and have it to be, you know, I believe an authentic and or, organic type of presentation. You're, you're hitting on. I want to jump around in the story. You're hitting on something else. We call it let the presentation follow the conversation. The presentation shouldn't force the conversation. Every linear presentation forces it down a one dead end road, not dead end to a predefined ending. And human conversation isn't always a predefined ending. And I think we've learned that all of us through our lives. Um, this style of presenting allows the presentation to follow the conversation in that once you have the library of slides and I'm on slide eight and you ask a question about something, oh, I didn't know you asked about my London office and I didn't include it. I can jump out, type the word London, the slides there, and it's instantly integrated into my slideshow. We're talking about it. This basic concept is happening right now every day, and I'll give you a clear example of it. You have a phone, right, with pictures on it, right? If I said, damn, I'm thinking about going to Disney World, you might say, well, gee whiz, I was there with the family last month, and pull out the phone and go down the list, and there's a tagged thing called Disney World in one of your, pro one of your phone lists. You know, you have your favorites and your recents, and then Disney World, and you click on that, and you look at it and you go, let me show them the Space Mountain. You click up and you show the slide. I mean the picture. Your pictures are already a slide library of your life. You can reinforce any conversation and give the most relevant one and pick from it. And then you go, damn, Space Mountains look good, but I have a little kid and do, do they, how do they feed well? Do they have things? And I might say, you know, I was there with my toddler at the time and look at the chicken nuggets. I'm going to take you into, you know, Pinocchio's Playhouse and we're going to show you how they eat. And that was, slide, that was page 55. But suddenly, my pictures followed the conversation. They reinforced it. They made it more connected. I connected with you on this whole issue. And then I put it down, and there's no more. If you had that much knowledge on your own company and let the slides follow the conversation, that's presentation management. That's selling versus telling. And there's a big difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. So let me jump back in time. You have come to these insights and conclusions and a productized version of this over a period of time that I could just look at your resume and say, this has been long enough that there's been multiple, many multiple iterations of this because web technology simply couldn't have done the things that you're talking about, you know, back in the early 2000s. So I would love just a, paint a picture of that founder journey, you know, and the discovery of of solution over time, because I bet like you tried a bunch of things that also didn't work. And, you know, before they even named it Lean Startup, you were probably iterating and taking customer feedback. Well, that was, yeah, there's, there's a lot of that. This goes back to CD-ROM technology in the 1990s, quite frankly. Um, we, uh, James Bond, we did a CD-ROM for MGM and that was, I was, that was the, I was hired by that company in that process. And I was merely a, a watcher of it, <laughs> but that's basically a slide library, a dossier of James Bond. Every 
every actor, every villain, every, every, you know, situation, every movie, and it went through it. And it evolved into a presentation platform, which we made one for the Olympics. And that's where I learned about emotional selling and things like that and how you perform things. But that was a slide library so that they could go to Coca-Cola or the big sponsors and give their whole thing, sponsor the whole deal. Now, with that, it was Web 1.0. Our company was bought and we became part of a fast growth public company that zoomed through the roof. And that was a web company that became a billion dollar company. And they decided they didn't want the CD-ROM technology. My, com my division was getting shut down. I wrote a business plan, got a funder, we spun it out, we were venture funded, doing the same type of thing, but the jobs were several hundred thousand dollars. This was a high-end consultative thing. We made nice graphics and did high-end presentations. You can see the logos behind me for ABC, NBC, Fox, Comedy Central, big media companies, the NFL, the NBA. We've done them. We've done exhibits in Epcot Center. And through the years, it was a high-end presentation. YouTube took our knees out because before that, I could issue a $50,000 invoice for a 30-minute, 30 30-second 30 animation. YouTube came out, and quite frankly, we had a meeting where a sales group came in. He tossed the DVD on the table and said, my grandmother made a better DVD for our family picnic than our sales presentation. And I almost died. <laughs> I just wilted away in the room. In any case, we digested that and went through it and started building some slide library type tools for PowerPoint. They said, can't you just make video work in PowerPoint? That was the first feature we did. We listened to them. We built that. And it was PPT Share. And then when responsive programming came for devices, we had to rewrite it all again. And that's where we founded Shuffler. And now that bandwidth can really pump out the real video and everything that goes with it and manage a slide library and handle it and you can do it on your device, now is the time that people are, are receiving presentation management as a enterprise communication strategy. So um, I've spent the past 25 years doing high-end presentations for some of the most demanding clients out there. And all of that knowledge has been put into this. My partner is my sister and my co-founder. We've worked together for 25 years on all this stuff. And she complements my deficiencies very well. Thank God. <laughs> as, as a good partner should. Yes, I have similar situations. Yes, and I think I do that for her as well. So yeah. it, it, it's one of the things that as a lean startup, to be able to depend on your founding partner and everything for the things that are needed really make a difference. And that's made a difference for our company. Yeah, awesome. I love that story. And as it becomes more and more of a productized solution that grows out of a service, I see a lot of companies that because of the allure of MRR, or ARR, or valuation, or I want to raise money, I need to take my service and turn it into a product. And I think sometimes that siren song is what ruins a really good service business that should have never been a product, you know, maybe just has like a, a stack of enabling technologies that can't sit on its own. And I would love if you would talk through that because what it, what is key about making product technology product, you know, from a service learning and service delivery, and maybe there's a professional service that like consulting gig that needs to go alongside it for enterprise. And that's okay too. Uh, but organizing and deploying that, I find, kills a lot of founders. 
I would say it's an art form, not a science. And in that, and you only, you get there through iteration by trying and thing. You, you, A, need to really be a deep subject matter expert in your area to understand the workflow that you're proposing to automate, because that's the value. You're automating a workflow that people do, and you're making it easier for them. And to know, like you said, sometimes there's a service. I can't automate a pretty picture for a client that's specific about their brand. I can automate managing a library of slides and giving you a platform to deliver them. Knowing the difference, like you said, is a critical element. I find that going from a service business to a software business might be one of the the scariest gorges to jump across because to go from kicking out, you know, $10,000 invoices without a big problem to charging $10 a month, you know, the first two or three months, the first year, it's very hard to get it, but you go from impossible to inevitable. Like when you get to that place of MRR where you are paying your bills and you can do marketing and you can develop, then you have a machine that keeps on going. But it's very hard to get there. And I will also say in the SaaS business online, the ones who do it are usually market makers. They're creating a category. And no one's been there before. And that's where you get the lion's share of the business. If you're going into a category that someone else owns and already has the mind share, you're, you're already in such second place. And who is in second place in SaaS? Here's a simple question. Who's in sec- second place to Amazon? Who's in second place in auctions to eBay? Who's in second place to Salesforce? Who's in second place to Google? Who's in second place to Facebook? Basically, if you're in the SaaS business, you're either the owner of the category or you're far behind because the owner of the category, the one who's in the advanced place is the one who gets challenged by the most demanding clients. And if the most demanding clients are asking you, you're solving that solution and number two isn't doing it. And when you solve that solution, the next person gets the benefit and they come to you and it gets further and further and further away. You certainly described the allure of why you want a winner-take-all VC-back type of of world there. I'd also say that everybody needs to really, really understand that category-defining re-education and marketing is the most expensive kind. This is why you need to (laughs) raise an insane amount of money because you need to retrain the whole world that your thing even exists and it matters. And uh, we're doing that, it without, yeah, we haven't had a boatload absolutely. of money. We've, we've built our product off clients paying us and breaching in their pockets because they needed, they needed a feature and the extra few chingles or whatever they put out was worth it. And it became more of our product and our product became better. And I love that. Like customer fuel growth is awesome because basically you can say, if I'm that close and I have that much relationship with a customer, I can go to them and I can say, if you want that thing, I need you to pay me on a one-time project, professional service type of basis. We will build that and awesome because it gets integrated into the product. So you need to have a good relationship. Yeah, that also identifies who's the leader in the category because they're not going to pick the second place person to develop for them. That whole point of, of doing it and going on makes a big difference. Yes, it's incredibly difficult. You even have to do stuff like this write a book 
Write a book. Yeah. So he's showing you can book. get this on Amazon. This, so. It's called presentation management, you know, sure. the new strategy for enterprise content. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, but, you're talking um, about thought leadership. This is the reason that, I mean, we're like, you know, people launch podcasts, people interview luminaries. I mean, you're talking about 20 plus years of career social proof and relationships and all the things that go into allowing you the space to think about like, Hey, I can build on customer relationships to build a, a product. This stuff doesn't just materialize. And, also the uh, confidence you, to be able to sell it. Yeah. Cause right. you have to invest time and money and then you have to keep the lights on. <laughs> yeah. And I just, and I don't envy you having to go out like to the initial clients and being like, check it out. We're going to do the slide management thing. And you know, it's business intelligence and you know, it has knowledge management and you know, the differences can make because you basically had to do it by hand a hundred times. But selling a solution to do that, that somebody's going to pay for every month and trust. And there is a hundred point solutions and death by SaaS now, you know, where you, you can, your credit card comes in at the end of the month and you're like, what the hell are all these things what that happened? are $10? Yeah. Well, we're an enterprise product. Our product really gets more value as the more people use it. Meaning if you've got, it's right around 25 to 30 people using it, meaning a, a distributed sales force, that's where the economy and it starts becoming more efficient. We have clients with several thousand users from companies you know. Uh, you can look at our website. I mean, like, you know, NASA uses it, Starbucks uses it, U.S. Bank uses it, Comerica uses it, Roche uses it, Genentech. They're names you know. <laughs> so we've we've really gotten some traction. Right. We've gotten market acceptance. We've gotten price acceptance, and we're making it better. Right, right. It's a it's a tremendous solution to solve. I mean that that is. It is the hard work of category defining. So you must do this. And you see entrance into the the sales enablement space and sort of knowledge management around marketing and sales, like guru and notion is playing in that space. There's all kinds of stuff there that they're trying to address pieces of this. So it isn't like people aren't paying attention or didn't know this was a thing. But you know, like how did you get to the the enterprise first? I think is huge. Uh, that and you could look at companies like even though Microsoft is, you know, ostensibly a monster in, you know, everybody's PC, they actually really don't give a damn about the B2C market. <laughs> they just dominate the enterprise, which is why they're chewing up market share into enterprise. That's why I've been able to survive, by the way. Yeah, and, and that's where all the money comes from. Well, A, they'll pay reasonable money. They'll pay thousands of dollars a month if you're providing the service, but they will also be... How do you say they'll they'll they're if if there's a bump in the road, they're willing to work with you to make it right. Those B2C customers, if they're a bump in the road, they scream like a crazy nut and then say you ripped me off of $35 a month and write you up on Amex and you're like, come on. Right. No, I, I'm a big but, B2B guy. I God bless everybody that wants to do B2B SaaS for a little dollars. I cannot figure out. Wow. Like, not me. That's why I run the B2B show. <laughs> you know, absolutely not. Well, here's an example. When Hurricane Sandy came through New York, our servers were in downtown New York. We were running some services that way. Our big clients all were, were sympathetic. Tell us when you're up. We, we'll send out a note letting you know what's going on, all, all that stuff. The people that were paying 30 and $50 a month were like, unacceptable. There was no hurricane here. I live in Utah. How come this isn't working? And I'm like, you know, 
you quickly learn like where, you know, the, it's interesting, right? Like make a service. I think that's the lesson that I would tell her, make a service or product that is high end demands high end and you will get the customers that operate on a high end basis. Yeah. And I think well, that's because they absolutely need, important. They, they value the solution more than the process. They value that you got the job done. Okay. It was a little messy, but you got the job done. Mm-hmm. The B to C is once it gets messy, you're like, oh, screw you guys are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Next thing you know, you're on Yelp with with half a star. <laughs> right, right. That's 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 where you get your your trending hashtag of awesomeness. Yeah, that's right. Uh, but yeah, I, I I totally agree, and I think that's a great lesson, you know, for the the audience. Before we run out of time, I I, like I said I like to have everybody put on the the futurist hat. You know, give me give me the trends that are on your mind now. Obviously, like. We're all talking about distributed workforce now, uh, you know, and the, the sort of aftermath of COVID is like the dominating topic here when this stuff comes up now. And I always kind of just like I try to prompt like what else, you know, maybe that's that's a thing that we all need to just accept and deal with now. But there there are other things and opportunities that come out maybe as a result or maybe in tandem with that. And I, I want to pay attention to the stuff that's on the leader's mind now that isn't sort of the macro. Yeah, well, we can we can see that COVID obviously forced a lot of these issues for you know video conferencing and all. There's dozens of different tools out there that are really perfected at this point. As far as presentations go, I see your phone as the management tool of of broadcasting. Quite frankly, if you're a speaker at an event in the future. Why, why should there be any audio video? Why don't you, your phone is your microphone and your stuff is on the phone. And if it's going through the phone, it can be up on the screen at the same time. Everyone in the audience can look at their phone and say, I'm raising my hand and speak into their own phone and give their context. There could be 10,000 people in the audience and the speaker could have a one-to-one conversation with someone in the back row who is now on the big screen asking the question live. Right. And then it doesn't matter if they're in the same room, they can be all over the world. But it's more about the device in your hand having everything to do that and to manage it. And there's no reason why not. When I talk about presentation management, I'm talking about content management where every file is formatted to present so that just by doing the search, you know, it's not you finding it and repurposing it. You found it ready to go and put up on the big screen. Quite literally, you could you could do real life performance on a stage where people are giving you feedback and you could be throwing up images and slides with audio video producing an actual what was that Mickey Mouse future? Oh, what was the one where they had the dancing <laughs> the dancing brooms and stuff? Fantasia. Oh, Fantasia, yeah. Where he's right. he's he's managing everything. Those should be all your files. You could throw them up on a big screen and run a full concert that way, and that is the new DJ of the future. For anybody that's not going to see the video here, you know, he's he's dancing around like Minority Report with like, you know, he's got the screen. That's and exactly everything, it. Right? And Where uh, each screen's a slide, and you just I mean, you're really it up talking about like this integration of and, and convergence of device and experience, uh, which I guess you know, uh, Master Zuckerberg would be pretty stoked about in in Meta Land because that that is ultimately the place where you could you could say like experience. Uh, blends in right and I, I don't know what how much of a you know digital avatar kind of guy i am but the presentation side makes a lot of sense to me yeah it's you know you're you're actually 
if you think about a DJ playing with music, think of the DJ playing with images and music and animations all flowing at the same time right from your content that you've already got on your corporate network. And then, then the be how does it synthesize? How do you deliver it? That's storytelling. And when people become better storytellers, their audience become better rememberers of what's being said. And I know rememberers isn't a word, but still, <laughs> you know what I was saying. Yes, understood. We like rememberers around here too. So no, I love so, that. Great, great vision. I, I love that. Excellent, excellent finish. And, you know, I, I look forward to those experiences where I can have that integrated experience and not have to leave my desk. So, yeah. although I do, I do miss having the happy hour after the conference, you know, I, maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we can just go back to that part. You know. So. Well, I really miss the human contact and stuff. I believe that we'll do our, 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 our moment of COVID here. I believe that this generation of apprentices, meaning the people in their twenties going into banking and trading and stuff who are working remote, are missing the ability to sit in the room where that person who's done this for 20 years is winning a job and you hear it out the out your ear and you hear the other guy losing a job and indirectly you're learning why and how the whole, your whole industry's working and I think a lot of that knowledge base is is going to be hard to transfer without that face-to-face -face contact so I think we need to learn how to do it if yeah. in fact this is the the condition now, I know like we, we only sell on Zoom, so, you know, we'll have other people just sort of in the room where at first I think it looked weird, but now you just kind of go like, look, I'm, honestly, I need this person to shadow this call. And that is just simply the way it is now. And it might look weird to have an equal sized window or a visitor or, you know, whatever, but we're going to have to grapple with that. Or there's going to be a lot of consuming, a lot of recording and we're producing terabytes now of, of video with the complete inability to turn that into any actionable intelligence. So, yeah. Well, if you think about it, everybody's desk turned into a television production facility. Right. I've got a professional microphone right here. I've got a ring light and I've got a yeah. background to show off what I do. Isn't that everything a TV station did 20 years ago? That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I just, the distribution now of media creation is, is incredible. And, you know, it's interesting to think about like the way you were able to adopt the word slide and you're really talking about like a different sort of entity that kind of doesn't exist. So we'll take slide because everybody knows slide exists in a presentation, uh, but slide is a piece of content that consumes your screen for uh, a small amount of time. And the format is not necessarily slide, but what else do we call it? And now you're going to be able to take all kinds of of inputs that way. So I think that's what's interesting. It's like, yeah, it's, well, think about it. Every meme is a slide, right? <laughs> it's something that gets you to think and causes conversation and, and addresses issues, so to speak. Right. A good right. slide should get the audience to think and talk and, you know what I mean? Move them along. Storytelling asset. Pattern. Yeah. yeah. So, well, if you ever get to rename slide, I think all of us have PTSD <laughs> with that word. So like, as you've redefined the category, whenever you make the new word for slide, uh, I'm on board. So that's good. <laughs> James, thanks for hanging out. This was a, a super cool conversation. If anybody wants to talk to you personally and or the, the company, how do they do that? Reach out to us at our website, shuffler.com, S-H-U-F-F-L-R-R. And that's where you'll find presentation management. You can reach out and contact us there and um, we will help you out. We will make this happen for your company. 
Really cool conversation. Thanks so much for the insights. Thank you, Legend. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Leaders of B2B podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please give us a five-star rating. And as always, you can see more information about this episode and all the resources mentioned at leadersofb2b.com.